0: Turn in our Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, Matthew, chapter 27. If you're with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, there are men coming up the aisles right now and they do have Bibles and you get their attention by waving to them. They'll get one into your hands so that you can hear the word of God, but also read along for yourself on Sunday mornings, we're studying the life and the ministry of Jesus and Chronicle, chronological order and we come to Matthew chapter 27 verse 15 Matthew 27 verse 15 Now at the feast the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished and at that time they had a notorious prisoner named Barabbas And therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man, this activity that's going on. For I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. And the governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said to him, Let him be crucified. And then the governor said, Why, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified." When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be upon us and on our children. And then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this living book. We thank you for every thought and every purpose behind every line and every paragraph and every section of this book. Purposes of yours, intents of yours, Lord. And we ask this morning that you would take what we are intended to learn from these few verses, why it is in your book. And that you would take that great lesson, Lord, and that you would plant it into our hearts, into our spirits and into our relationship with you, Lord, so that it will impact us in our walk with you and our service to you all the days of our life. And we ask it in Jesus name. Amen. Please be seated. The passage that we're studying here this morning is a partial record of events that occurred in Jesus's life on the very morning of his crucifixion, following a night of prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, following his arrest by an armed force sent by the Jewish religious leaders in Jerusalem, led by Judas Iscariot. We've examined Jesus' early morning trial before the Jewish religious leaders, first before Annas, and then before Caiaphas, the high priest, and also the Sanhedrin. All of them attempting to find a charge uh, against him that was worthy of death. And having been unsuccessful in finding any wrongdoing in Jesus, and finding any fault in him at all... They then took him to Pontus Pilate, the Roman governor, over Judea and over Jerusalem, demanding that Pilate would put Jesus to death on their word, that he was guilty of something worthy of death. Pilate then asked them for a specific charge that they wanted to present against Jesus that was worthy of his execution. And because they didn't have an accusation against Jesus, they resorted to bluster and to indignation. And as John records, they said to him, if he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. And at this point in time, Pilate begins his own examination or his own trial of Jesus in an attempt to discover some wrongdoing in him. And not only does he not find in Jesus anything worthy of execution, but he can't find any wrongdoing in Jesus at all. And he comes out repeatedly before that religious crowd that was gathering outside the doors of the praetorium, and no less than four times he declares to them that he cannot find any fault in Jesus, much less a reason for his death. And, of course, all of this, I mean, however unjust, all of this is unfolding exactly as the scriptures declared that they would unfold concerning the Messiah. That he would ultimately be crucified, though sinless. Psalm 22 declares concerning the Messiah, they pierced my hands and my feet, prophesying of his crucifixion. But why did he end up being crucified? For his own sins? No, not for his own sins. But as Isaiah prophesied, he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities, not his own. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Pilate is in the middle of a great dilemma at this point. In his trial of Jesus, Pilate is fully aware that he is being manipulated by the Jewish religious leaders, that they are trying to manipulate him into doing what they lack the authority to do, and that is to put Jesus to death. And as Jesus is in the middle of this layer upon layer of pressure that they're putting on him, the manipulation that they're trying to uh, that that they're trying to trap him with. And every minute and every hour that goes by, he sees one option removed after another, after another, until finally he turns around in the whole progression and they've got him absolutely cornered in, in terms of uh, making a decision that is going to be politically popular with them. And as all of this is going on with Pilate, he resents it. He resents deeply that, number one, he's been drawn into this at all. And number two, he's not a stupid man. He knows what they're doing to him. He's a politician, a very skilled politician. And he knows what they're doing to him, and he resents it. He also knows that they have not delivered Jesus to him because of any wrongdoing that they were aware of in his life, but they've delivered Jesus to him for execution out of their own envy of him. And Pilate looked right through them. He looked right through their motives. He saw clearly what they were up to, as we're told there in verse eighteen, for he knew that what that they had handed him over because of envy. And they had sought, these Jewish religious leaders had sought Jesus' death for a very, very long time. And they're just waiting for, like, the perfect demonic storm to occur. Because they knew they would somehow have to involve Rome. And so how could everything come together that they could have an innocent man crucified, one as powerful as Jesus, one as popular as Jesus And so they've been searching for almost the entirety of Jesus' three-and-a-half-year public ministry for an opportunity to put him to death. Way back at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, I spoke earlier of of that synagogue in Capernaum. And you go into that synagogue to this very day, and the ancient synagogue that's there is built upon the synagogue that existed in Jesus' day. The foundation sits there. And Jesus went into that synagogue on a Sabbath day. And there was a man who had a withered hand there in that synagogue. And he was, had been planted in there by the religious leaders to see if Jesus would heal him on the Sabbath day. They knew a couple of things about Jesus that ought to have put them on the right path of coming to faith to him. They knew, number one, that any room that he walked into, his attention immediately went to the person with the greatest need. And that man constituted the greatest need in the room. They also knew that Jesus had the power to heal, power they did not have, and evidence that Jesus was greater than them. And yet they did not allow the implications of that to drive them to faith in Christ. And they looked for an accusation to see if Jesus would heal this man on the Sabbath day because they felt that it would be a violation of the Sabbath, their interpretation of uh, the Sabbath from the law of Moses. And Jesus knows everything that's going on in that room. He has the man come forward right into the synagogue. Let's do what we're going to do out in the open, no secrecy. And he commands the man to put forth his hand, and as he puts forth his hand, his hand is completely restored to health. And from that moment, we're told, the religious leaders determined to kill Jesus because of what he had done there. Jesus never violated the heart and the intent of God related to the Sabbath in his ministry. He came, he said, not to violate the law, but to fulfill the law. He kept the law in in, perfectly. And he confronted them with the fact that it was their wrong interpretation of the Sabbath law that needed to be corrected and not his. And as this man was made well, they determined from that point that he had to be killed. They were envious of his popularity among the common people, among the non-priest class. We're told that in John chapter 11, that the Pharisees gathered a council, and the subject of the council was Jesus. And this was the question that they posed. They said, what shall we do? For this man works many signs. And if we let him alone, we let him keep doing what he's doing, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. We will lose the power and the wealth of our Uh, religious system that we have established. And so they were envious of the popularity of Jesus. Now, how Pilate ought to have handled this manipulation that was going on is he ought to have Just knowing that all of this was true, clearly he understood it was envy. Clearly he understood that Jesus was innocent of not only their charges, but any charge at all. And he ought to, have. we saw a couple of weeks ago, simply slam the door to the praetorium, said, this is nonsense, what you're trying to do to me, I won't have a part in it, this man is innocent, I will not be a part of this whole scheme that you've put together. Slam the door and walk away. And if he had done so, then he might have gone down as one of the heroes in human history instead of being one of its goats. Instead, what he does, instead of heeding the warnings of his conscience and even the warnings of his wife to do the right thing concerning Christ, He fails to stand up to this religious mob. And the longer it took him to do the right thing, the harder it became to do the right thing. And he's watching things unravel by the minute. This morning is not turning out how he intended this morning to be. It looks like everything's gonna turn into a tumult. He's gonna have a riot in Jerusalem at the time of the Passover and he's already got two strikes against him as it relates to Rome. And if he messes up one more time and has to resort to violence to retain order is probably gonna mean his position and he'll be yanked out of being the governor of Judea and taken back into, into Rome. And so he is, you put yourself in his place. He is desperate for some means, something that he can pull out of somewhere or nowhere to escape the mess and the complicated situation that he finds himself in now at this point. How to release an innocent Jesus, but at the same time pacify these religious leaders. That's what he needs, and suddenly he comes up with an idea. In the middle of everything, he remembered the Roman custom associated with the Jews of releasing to them at the Feast of Passover a a Jewish prisoner of their choosing. It was a way of bridge building on the part of Rome toward the Jews. The relationship was was a strained relationship. It was an often violent relationship. And the Passover was a celebration of the Jews... Being released from the bondage of Egypt, and so Rome looked at it and said, "All right, let's try and and say that we're sympathetic to them, their religion, to the celebration of this feast, the fact that they uh, were delivered by God out of Egypt, their celebration of freedom and liberty on this day, in some small way, we'll try and communicate that we have some heart toward them. We will celebrate liberty by releasing to them the prisoner." Of their choice, all of it was intended to bring calm and peace to the relationship. He remembers that there is a Jewish prisoner in Roman custody, in fact, sitting on death row at the moment, a man by the name of Barabbas and Barabbas is described, verse 16, as being notorious The word in the original language not only means that he was well known for being a criminal, he was certainly all of that. But the word notorious means to literally bearing a mark in the same way that you stamp a coin and you forever uh, put an image on that On that coin, this guy was a marked prisoner. He wasn't merely a criminal, but he was a criminal through and through. That was his identity. That's the only identity that he had in life. Luke tells us that he was also an insurrectionist. An insurrectionist is someone who leads open revolt against uh, civil authority. So apparently he had led a revolt against the Roman rule somewhere in the area of Jerusalem. And so he was what we would call today a terrorist. In John's gospel, we're also told that he was a robber. He's the kind of guy that likes to uh, present himself as some kind of a noble uh, anarchist. Uh, or some kind of a noble uh, revolutionary that he 's all about the people he 's all about freedom he 's all about these noble ideas and throwing off Rome and all of these kind of things. but when he had a chance to have some power and do something like that, he gained a little bit of power, he immediately used the power that he had to then become a thief, and his rebellion and his insurrectionism, all of this it, it looked like one thing to the people. They considered him a hero uh, for being that and doing that. But in reality, in the wickedness of his heart, all of it was just an excuse uh, to rob, to be a criminal, to be lawless. And more than that, Luke's gospel also tells us that he was a murderer. He had committed murder in the course of this insurrection. So he's a very violent man. He's a very uh, dangerous uh, kind of man. And Pilate figures that on this Passover he's not going to allow the Jews to just pick anyone out of the uh, prison system. He's going to give them two very specific choices, two very different choices for who will be released. And he offers just the the choice between Jesus and Barabbas. And he it never enters his mind. He, he never imagining that the Jewish religious leaders would ever publicly stoop so low as to identify with Barabbas over Jesus. Jesus is known from one end of the land of Israel to the other for good. For teaching, for loving people, caring for people, healing people, cleansing them of leprosy, changing their lives. He has for three and a half years left in his wake an entire sea of changed lives. And the whole nation knew it. And the whole nation, except for the Jewish religious leaders, loved him for it. And Pilate figured that no matter how much they hated Jesus, they would be unwilling to go down on record as having publicly chosen a man like Barabbas over Jesus. I mean, to him, they they were capable of anything, but this would be a public relations black eye and disaster that they would surely avoid. And I think that Pilate is also trapping them. He wants to release Jesus. He's trying to trap them. In their own hypocrisy. And how is it, he thinks, and he's posing the question to them in making this offer to them. How could they demand the death of Jesus, who they had falsely accused of being a revolutionary, an insurrectionist against Rome? Remember, they said he's teaching not to pay taxes to Rome and and that people ought to give honor and uh, to a greater king, to God and all. And so he's trying to undermine Roman rule. So how, how could they demand the death of Jesus, who they falsely accused as a danger against Rome and an insurrectionist? How could they choose Jesus, demand the death of Jesus over the death of one who had actually led such a revolt? who was all that they accused Jesus of, and even more. And so they portrayed themselves as having a great concern for the health and welfare of Roman rule. If that was their true concern, then they would have been absolutely alarmed at the proposed release of a known terrorist and a robber and a murderer. And so he assumed that this was a hypocrisy, that even they weren't going to, be willing to engage in. But Pilate was wrong. He underestimated the capacity for hypocrisy in man. And nowhere is that capacity greater through history than in religious men and women who hold power and are getting rich off of that religion and off of that power. And you notice the choice that they made in verse 20. The chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The religious leaders began to clamor for the release of Barabbas. No hesitation. No deliberation. No, let's think about this for a few minutes. Let's think about the implications of this. None of that at all. And they rejected Jesus, clamored for the the release of Barabbas, and then they incited the crowd to do the same. And not only that, not only did they cry out for the release of Barabbas, but additionally they cried out for the destruction of Jesus. And the religious leaders are taking no chance that Pilate might release both prisoners. To them, this was all about Jesus' death, not about the release of Barabbas. They did not want... To see Pilate softening on them, giving them a choice of one being delivered to death and one being released, have them choosing Barabbas and then the Lord saying, alright, I give you Barabbas, but on top of it, I'm also going to release Jesus to you. They are, continue to try and pin him in, in their uh, clamoring and declaration. We not only want the release of Barabbas, but we also want the death of Jesus. That's, that's the only thing they want. And they, anywhere, Barab, anywhere Pilate makes any kind of a move that indicates that they may not get what they want, they slam the door on it. Now, sometimes you'll uh, read and, and, or sometimes hear teaching Uh, On all of this, and and people will wonder out loud about how, you know, massively the crowd changed. I mean, it was only less than a handful of days prior, on the Sunday, when Jesus made his triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. And as he made his way into the city of Jerusalem, the common people lined the road into Jerusalem And they began to sing one of the great messianic psalms to Jesus as he was coming into Jerusalem. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And everybody knew that that was was reserved for God and for his Messiah. And the religious leaders recognized that what the crowd was doing was declaring Jesus to be the Messiah. And they said to Jesus... Not believing him to be the Messiah, they said to him, you need to silence your followers with what they're singing here because they're ascribing Messiahship to you. And Jesus then responded by saying that if these should remain silent, then even the very stones would cry out. In other words, this song for the Messiah was either going to be sung by human voice or it was going to be sung by stones, but it was going to be sung to the Messiah just as the scriptures had declared and then here we are less than a handful of days later and we've got this crowd that the religious leaders are able to work up into this frenzy calling for the death of Jesus. And what about the inconsistency of the crowd and the fickleness of the crowd? I don't believe it's fickleness in the crowd. I believe they're two entirely different crowds. Remember, all of this is happening very, very early in the morning. The crowd that lined the roads and cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord to Jesus as he came in in his triumphant entry. On this particular morning, they're hardly out of bed. They haven't had their first cup of coffee yet. They're just thinking through the day, the Passover's coming, what do we need to get done today? All of this, they haven't even ventured out of their house yet. The crowd that's being incited by the religious leaders of the Jews is a crowd that has begun to form around the area out of curiosity, but also a crowd, no doubt, produced by them, knowing that they would need to have this larger group of people demanding the same thing that they were demanding. And so it's, it's their own mob that they've produced for, for this very, very uh, same event. Notice their further commentary when not only calling for the release of Barabbas, but also the death of Jesus in verse 25, all the people answered and said, his blood be upon us and on our children. Here is Pilate. He continues to vigorously, not vigorously enough, but he tries to vigorously defend Jesus Verbally, He publicly, he goes forth as the bowl of water. He publicly makes a great demonstration of washing his hands in the water and drying them. And all of it symbolized that he didn't want to have anything to do with what was going on here. What is happening here, the stigma of it, what is going to be the historical implications of it, whatever that might be. He said I, in, in, in an attempt to be washed clean of all of it, he says, I don't want to have anything to do with the death of this uh, innocent man. And as he's making this uh, public protest to what the Jews are demanding here, the Jews think they're about to lose it in the last second. They think that here is Pilate, the chances he washes his hands here and and in in the last moment that here is their desiring the death of Jesus in all and here is—it's just about to occur. They know it's not going to occur until finally, out of the mouth of Pilate, is the uh, the command that Jesus be crucified. He's washing his hands now. Is he going to have second thoughts here? And then, and and he's obviously concerned about how this decision is going to reflect upon him. And just as they look at it and think, on the basis of his own conscience, he's about to back away from this. They declare to him in order to ease his conscience, don't you worry about being marked by this decision for the rest of your life. Let his blood be on us and our children. We will bear entirely the consequences uh, uh, of this death of this man. And so they release him from any final kind of uh, pangs of guilt and sense of wrongdoing that he has in all of it. And and as they released that from him, Pilate then gave them their heart's desire and he ordered Barabbas to be released. And then he ordered Jesus to be crucified. But that's not the end of the story. Their decision, their determined choice of Barabbas over Jesus. A decision is never the end of something. A decision is always the beginning of something new. There's always a life. There is always consequences that follow hard on decisions that we make in life, in choices that we make in life. And if the Jewish religious leaders felt on that morning that they could secure the death of Jesus, the Messiah of the Jews, the Savior of the whole world, and that it would just end with that decision, they're sadly mistaken. That decision began a course of action related to that nation. There are always consequences associated with the decisions that we make in life. And nowhere is that more important and more true than of the consequences associated with whether I choose Jesus or some Barabbas in life. And history records the consequences of their choice, and they paid a terrible price for that choice. Less than 40 years after Jesus's crucifixion in 70 A.D., The Jews, having rejected Jesus in his rightful place as their Messiah and as their king, proceeded to follow leaders like Barabbas in a rebellion against Rome. And by the time Rome crushed that rebellion, Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was destroyed so thoroughly that not one stone lay upon another. And before that rebellion was finally put down by the Romans, and it took seven years to put the rebellion down, the Roman historian Josephus says that almost 1.4 million Jews were killed. Ironically, again according to Josephus, thousands of them died by crucifixion. And the Roman crucifixions only ended... Because they ran out of crosses to crucify Jews on. And they ran out of ground to erect crosses up on to crucify Jews on. And they and their children that they spoke for paid a horrible price for their rejection of Christ. You think about how different the world would be today if Jesus had been recognized by the Jews and by the world as the promised Messiah and made the king. King of kings and Lord of lords of planet Earth. And all of this destruction that followed hard on the choice of the religious Jews. It wasn't that God arranged any of it. It's just that he knew it was coming. And God knows that the only one who is safe to follow in this fallen world, is Jesus. Every other Barabbas is going to lead us into pain and damage and destruction and needless deception and needless harm. From the perspective of heaven, there is something wrong with any person who rejects Christ for some Barabbas and everyone who rejects Christ rejects him for some Barabbas we live in this world that's it's its own insane asylum you you can't find truth you can't find proper thinking and proper perspective um, Amongst the fallenness of this world. The only perspective that brings any kind of clarity and sanity into the world is heaven's perspective. And when heaven looks at any man or any woman. And they reject Christ for some Barabbas. Heaven looks at it and says there is something wrong with that person. And that Barabbas may be some relationship in our life that we refuse to give up for Christ because we know that he would demand that we give up that relationship in order to obey his word. It can refer to some position in life where a person refuses to become a Christian because they know they're making heaps of money being dishonest in this position that they hold in this company or in this business that they have, and they're unwilling to give it up. It can refer to some sin that a person is unwilling to give up for Christ and is chosen over Christ. It can refer to idolatry, and the most common idolatry in the world today is the worship of self. Where a person says, I want to live the life how I want to live it. And I want my way and my thinking to be supreme and all. And I reject Christ over that. Or can refer to some material thing that Christ is rejected over. And for a person to choose any of these things instead of Christ. Reveals a person to be either without discernment or incapable of good decision-making in the realm of righteousness. And if a person thinks, I can reject Christ for some Barabbas, I have the capacity to deceive myself, to choose some Barabbas over Christ in a choice That is so clear and should be so easy to make. That person then carries that kind of decision making. It's not limited to what they do with Christ. They then carry that decision making, that kind of processing everywhere else in their life. And so their whole life becomes a long stream of terrible decisions Choosing robbers and liars and thieves and murderers and insurrectionists one after another the entirety of their life until they're eaten up by them, their heart, their mind, their soul, and their strength. And they don't realize that the reason that they're vulnerable to all of these terrible decisions month after month and year after year all goes back to what they're willing to do in their mind and in their heart to reject Christ, but in giving my life then to Christ... How everything else then becomes clear and I take the decision making, the holiness, the honesty, the righteousness, the clarity, the willingness to do the right thing because it's the right thing and God has said to do that. And then to begin a life of doing that in a decision related to Christ and then to watch something birthed in our life as a result and now that carrying over into all of the rest of the decision making in our life. But to fail to do it there, to fail to begin there, doesn't mean that, oh, I can limit that to just my decision with Christ. That carries over everywhere else in life, and thus that kind of person will decide themselves into one deception after another, one disaster after another, one series of disasters in, in this life, and ultimately into an unending disaster in the life to come. Bill MacDonald made a very sobering observation concerning verse 25 in his commentary, and he said, Since then, the statement of verse 25 The people of Israel have staggered from ghetto to pogrom, from concentration camp to gas chamber, suffering the awful guilt of the blood of their rejected Messiah. They still face the fearsome time of Jacob's trouble, those seven years of tribulation described in Matthew 24 and Revelation chapters 6 through 19, and the curse will remain until they acknowledge. The rejected Jesus as their Messiah, King Phillips makes this observation, which is very powerful. He said the Jews chose a bandit, a highway robber, and down through their history from that day to this, they have been robbed and they have been plundered. The Apostle Peter himself drove home this very point to a Jewish audience in Acts chapter three. And he declared, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murder to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Peace, whom God raised from the dead and we of which we are witnesses. But this is. It's not the Jews alone. Both Jew and Gentile were involved in the crucifixion of Christ. Everyone had a play. The death of the Son of God. But it's not the Jews alone. The Gentile world has also chosen an endless stream of revolutionaries and thieves and murderers over Jesus down through history and into this very hour, and this world pays a terrible price for it. How much of the world has men, the highest positions of office of dictators around the world? They're nothing but liars, they're nothing but thieves. They're nothing but revolutionaries and insurrectionists who then gain a following because within their heart all they want is the power that they're overthrowing someone else out of. It's a very rare, noble revolutionary in human history. And you look at the terrible price that the Gentile world has paid as well. The fact of the matter is to choose anyone or anything over Jesus in my life is to choose a robber, it's to choose a thief, someone or something who robs me of salvation, of a living hope, of the knowledge of what is the meaning and the purpose of life, of righteousness, of peace, of joy, of grace, and on and on the list goes. But I think about the price that the whole world today pays because it chooses, deliberately chooses to this day, some Barabbas over Christ, some murder, some liar, some thief, some anarchist. But then think about the terrible physical and emotional and mental price that individual men and women pay every day in this world because they still choose to make the master passion of their life someone or something other than Christ. The mental damage of being under the rule of some Barabbas Barabbas is in every one of us. To be under the rule of self is no better. The emotional casualties. The physical casualties. The spiritual casualties. And how about you this morning? If you have never trusted in Christ as your Savior. You can't decide for the whole world. You don't have the power to do that. You don't have the authority to do that. But you can choose for yourself and make Jesus your Savior and make Him your King this morning. And to refuse to do that is to follow Barabbas. There is Christ and Barabbas period in this world. And to refuse to receive Christ is to put myself on a path where the consequences of that decision are going to catch up to me in a massive way in this life to say nothing of the life to come. It leads to a life of pain and regret. Maybe you're in this church here today, walked into a church. You've been telling people for years that I'm inviting you to church. You can't go to church. Because the whole place would collapse if you walked in. So we made this one out of concrete and steel (laughs) to withstand someone like you. But in all seriousness, you look at yourself and you say, I have followed one Barabbas after another in life. And they have made a mincemeat of my mental health, of my heart. My mind, my thinking, my history. They filled me with shame. They have victimized me. I bear the physical consequences of having followed one after another, after another, after another. And it all proves the truth of Scripture. And God calls you this morning to put your faith in Christ. And as you put your faith in Christ now, there are consequences to that decision as well. But all of the consequences are good. That's a good path. That's a holy path. There's no regret or damage to be found on that path. And there are going to be men and women up in front immediately after this service. And they're going to have a badge on that says prayer so you can identify them easily. And you can come forward and talk with them and they will pray with you to invite Jesus, to choose Jesus over everything else in life. And then to enter into now the life that Christ has for you. I think that the United States of America is kind of a funny place. I'm almost done. It's a funny place in kind of a sad way, in a lot of ways today. And I think that in general, historically, certainly in my lifetime, we have not given decision-making the kind of weight that it ought to have, the kind of deliberation it should behind decisions, thinking through the consequences of decisions that are made. And I think our country has been wealthy enough Up to this point in time, but may not be wealthy enough ever again to do this and it wouldn't be a bad thing in this realm. But for people to make one bad decision after another bad decision after another bad decision, and they can always wealth their way out of it or make one bad decision after another, after another, and then somebody come in and bail that person out out of that bad decision because they have the wealth or they have the resources to do it. And what it does is it nurtures an entire country and it nurtures entire generations of people who do not stop and think about how important decisions are. And that one day we might have to make a decision That if we make the wrong one, there is no way out of that decision. And so this is the kind of thing with Barabbas that stops us. And it makes us think about the decisions that we make in life. There are consequences to those decisions. Wonderfully so if we choose Christ. But to choose anything other than Christ in this life, that is a disastrous decision. And it's only a matter of time before it is proven to be so, whether in this life and the life to come. The importance of decisions and the important, importance of deciding and choosing for Christ this morning. Let's stand together and we'll pray. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son Jesus into this world in order to give us a choice. to the Barabbas that is all the fallenness of this world. We thank you for the privilege, Lord, of being able to choose him, to make him, whether Jew or Gentile, to make him our Savior and our Lord. And we thank you this morning, Lord, not only for the privilege of being able to make that choice, You didn't have to do it. We thank you that you did it. But those of us, Lord, who know you, we give you praise from 4300 American Avenue this morning. For the wonder and the beauty and the glory of the life that has flowed out of that decision. Thank you, Lord, for not an ounce of regret experienced on the other side of that decision. Thank you so much, Lord, for the life that you allow us to live now safely separated from the Barabbas of this world. And the fallenness of this world that in terms of being that which dominates us or that we obey. And Lord, I pray and we pray. For every man and woman that stands before you right now that doesn't know you. And no one can intellectualize them into the kingdom of God. You know how to get through to them. Whether they are very young in this room or they're very old, doesn't matter, Lord. You know how to get through to them. And we pray today for a work of your Holy Spirit in their heart right now to show them the urgency and the importance of choosing Christ. Not a year from now, not a month from now, not a week from now. But doing it today, we trust you, Lord, for that work of your Holy Spirit out of the greatness of your love for their souls. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Sunday nights we go through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. And all of you are invited.